Episode one, what makes a millennial bitch? Hello, and welcome to Millennial Bitch. The podcast for millennial bitching by two bitchin' millennials. I'm Jenny. And I'm Shelby. A little bit about us. I am obviously a millennial, a writer, and a pole dance instructor. I currently live in the UK with my boyfriend, two cats, and the big dog-shaped hole in my life that currently exists because I'm not allowed to have a dog. Oh. <laughs> I'm also a millennial, uh, and I teach composition courses at a community college in New Mexico. I have a cat, too, um, and I spend my free time grading essays and watching really bad movies. Why have we started this podcast? Um, mainly, I think, because we thought about doing a Riverdale podcast, and then I don't know if we could spend... Okay, we can spend an hour every <laughs> week talking about Riverdale. But I think it, we were worried that it would become a bit of a monster. Plus, I mean, Riverdale is in its like fourth season now, so I think we just sort of missed the boat on yeah, jumping no, on we a should podcast. Have... With That's the thing is, like, we both started watching it. I think because it is like a super millennial show, and everything about it like appeals to that yeah um, sensibility. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, we should have done it in season one, which we've been talking about this since season one, but we just never got around to it. And then we realized that this was missing from our lives. Yeah. <laughs> but then we found that we do have lots of other things to talk about, um, like the things you mentioned, some political things, some pop culture things that we have opinions on. But like through a millennial perspective, like I think I think we're like very conscious that we're coming at it from a millennial perspective. Yeah. Um, so today is our first episode. What makes a millennial bitch? Uh, it's truly the question on everyone's mind, I'm sure. Uh, what is a millennial bitch and how can I tell if I've secretly been a millennial bitch this entire time? Shelby, what even is a millennial? Well, I personally have a very clinical, like, definition um, that I pulled off of Wikipedia that they got from Pew Research Center. Just to sort of be transparent about my research, um, that's that's the process I went through. Um, so, it's not the exact opposite of what you tell your students <laughs> to do. <laughs> you know, at, at least I'm saying where I got the information. I'm still working on that with a lot of my students. Like, you know, where did you, where did you find this professional definition <laughs> this <and> very dubious <laughs> source <laughs> so it seems that there's often a bit of confusion about when you're considered a millennial and when you're either gen x or gen z so pew research center defines millennials as people who are born from 1981 to 1996 and they chose those dates um, because of some key political economic and social factors um, including things like september 11th uh, the great recession that we went through and the kind of explosion of the internet I think those are, like, probably the best markers when you think about it, like, versus having a set date because, and I, I actually asked a friend of mine about this because he's 37. Um, for context, we are both 28, but my friend uh, is 37, and he's a millennial. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he's English. Most of my my people that I know here are English since I live in England. <laughs> um but a lot of the sort of things that get applied to um, millennials in the States are also applied to millennials here. Um, I think because, you know, at this point, like, especially with the rise of the Internet, things were very, like, globalized. Things were becoming more and more globalized at that point. So they had a lot of the same media consumption that we did and a lot of the same experiences. They also went through a recession. Um, you know, there's a continuing housing crisis yes. here in the UK. But my friend said to me, that he doesn't particularly feel like a millennial, uh, which I found really interesting. I think it's because he's a bit older. He's coming into his 40s and he looks like somebody who's 37. So I, my assumption is that people don't treat him like a millennial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I, I think that that's what it comes down to is sort of like not only your formative experiences, but the way that people treat you um yeah for yeah. sure and i think we've even seen with like some of these new trends of like the joke of okay boomer um kind of being used by <laughs> whoever you disagree with um kind of a similar thing <laughs> happens with millennial and ha has already been happening with millennial um where if someone seems younger than you and they like 
you know seem to you do something you don't understand yeah it's, you call them a millennial and it's like a it's like a dirty word yeah um. some of my students actually just did that to me they they said okay boomer do they realize like how much not of a baby boomer you they are? do I, I said that they had a test or whatever and they're like okay boomer we're both millennials we grew up in the middle of nowhere um and uh our parents knew each other before we were born i'm pretty sure yeah um so I, I don't remember yeah, meeting you. Noting. Yeah, no, I don't remember meeting you. I just <laughs> you were there, um, and then you weren't there because you moved away. I know I moved um, away to a bigger city. We were probably both about like six or Vale. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, a bigger city. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately, a bigger city than the one we lived in. Um, technically, I mean, like technically, I don't think either of us were actually in, like the town i don't think so like we were not so now that we've introduced the podcast and gone on a few small tangents uh let's talk about us uh and by that i mean our friendship we lived off the same highway uh and our parents worked together yeah um so yeah and we went to the same school um which is a surprisingly good school when i think about yeah. it like <laughs> like we had really really excellent education no, for that area um, which was really good yeah, I think it was also because it was, like, the 90s, mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, that was not necessarily the case in <laughs> other places, like, other schools around there. Yeah. I know, because my cousins went to those other schools. Um, yeah, and so, anyway, we went to school for a few years together, and then um, we've just always really stayed really good friends. Yeah, um, I mean, originally, and... I think we kind of did the whole writing letters and talking on the phone thing, but then, of course, as internet became a thing, it was, like, Facebook conversation, and, and that's mostly how we stayed in touch. We emailed us while, yeah. when we were younger, before Facebook was a thing. Yeah. Um, I think our parents both set, up, set us emails up so we could chat. Yeah. But then, like, long-distance calling was still a thing, yeah. like, at that time after you'd moved. So we couldn't really, like, call each other anymore, which is where our email must have come in. Because I think our parents were just like, fucking no. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually we were in the same place for a little while. But, you know, just definitely living separate but still, like, close lives, I guess. Yeah, um, so we saw each other a lot more in, like, high school and, yeah, and college. We went to college um, in different places. Um, and then you yeah. moved. You made the really big move to... <laughs> then I made the really big move. <laughs> to London. Yeah. And so we still kind of do the whole Skype uh, Facebook message thing. That's how we yeah, talked about Riverdale yeah. is I'll just send you photos yeah. of my notes app um, <laughs> with all of my thoughts about Riverdale. <laughs> Yeah, we have like the most like millennial friendship. I think so. That has spanned like over twenty years. So yeah, a lot of our like conversations, especially like as we started to get older, was about like internet culture yeah. and like YouTube and yeah. all of those sorts of things that are like sort of like considered inherently millennial because the first generation of like quote unquote YouTubers are millennials. Yeah. Um, it was like there was you know the boom of the internet and there was this tool and you could put videos up and and the only people like old enough to do that were millennials and so a lot of youtubers are around our age Mm -hmm. um and i'm thinking of like like i got it very into like the beauty guru scene yeah um (laughs) and i was really into that for a while and like less so now now i really love people like um anna connor um hannah witt hannah witten um Mm -hmm. Uh, who's a UK-based YouTuber. Um, who else? Uh, so many people. But um, And I've watched the Philip DeFranco show for a really long time. It's like my primary source yeah. of news. <laughs> <laughs> Which is scary when you think about it. But Yeah. Well, here's the thing. is like I get my news from the New York Times and Philip DeFranco. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> it. Because everything else. Like, I don't trust anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he is like a major source of like people's information, which I think is interesting and a little terrifying. Yeah. And I, um, I started off kind of with, and I'm ashamed to say, like, I used to watch stuff like Shane Dawson at times. Um, <laughs> I, 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 again, I'm ashamed to say it. I'm just saying it up front. I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with it. Like inherently just like. It's just, it was a lot back in the day. Um, but I used to it watch It was a it. lot back in the day. And I used to watch goofy stuff, you know, like the Potter Puppet Pals and Shoes and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yes. And lately I've been watching. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of goofy, like weird YouTube. That's what I used to really like. I used um, to be really obsessed with Maru, that Scottish fold cat. Oh um, yeah, oh it was so cute. Um, posted so many videos. Yeah, and then lately I've been watching more. Like, there's a lot of really good video essayists out there. Um, people who just talk about like film and stuff, like 
Lindsay Ellis is someone I've been watching. She does this mm, really great yes. series on Game of Thrones that I've not even kept up, kept up with Game of Thrones, but like I feel like I know everything about Game of Thrones because of her um, <laughs> and why it's why the last season was bad, even though I didn't watch it. Um, and like Dan also, my boyfriend loves her. Yeah, he, like she's so good. We listen to her a lot. Yeah, she's she's great. And on a similar vein, like Foldable Human is another really good one. Dan Olson, um, people like that are people who I end up kind of watching a lot now if I go to YouTube, but. Yeah, I watch a lot of, um, I really love Vox videos as well, mm-hmm. um, and, ooh, ContraPoints, we really oh, ContraPoints. I love ContraPoints. I love Natalie. Yeah, she's, she's great. great. She's really great. Um, I also, I've been really into the financial diet, which, if you haven't watched any of their stuff, you really should. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's it's this sort of, like, way, I think it's a little bit, like, post-BuzzFeed now, but BuzzFeed videos were very big, and I think, like, that youtube like really starts to change the way that we consume like news and other sorts of media the way that we, we interact with people and redefine sort of celebrity and that sort of thing yeah um versus like you know boy bands and movie stars and stuff like that it's not as much of a it's not much of a thing anymore like i remember buying magazines like yeah. as a teenager like 17 magazine or cosmo girl or whatever and stuff like that and my mom always like absolutely hated them <laughs> but but i think she like viewed like one ones like 17 particularly were like pretty innocuous and there was always like you know true life like i was in an abusive relationship and you know or true life i did math like yeah things like that sort of mtv true life but articles and i think it was like a fairly good introduction to like you know semi-quality journalism yeah um but i i wonder if like kids now like teenagers now even get things like that because it seems like most of that is on youtube i mean i actually was just at a kid's birthday yesterday um and i don't think so she she had a jojo siwa themed party um who is that a a jojo siwa i guess she's like a dancer on youtube and she has like oh these like the giant bows in her hair um she was on dance moms once upon a time now she has this whole like uh, oh. scene where she like she sells the bows, she sells the shoes, she sells like socks. <laughs> she has these music videos, and so I mean, at least kids that age, um, I kind of seen. I think they just go to YouTube and maybe just maybe there's like a seventeen yeah. magazine with JoJo Siwa on it. But why even go to that? Why not just go straight to this JoJo Siwa merch store and like yeah, and, and her where videos, she can, like give yeah. recommendations and stuff like yeah. that. That's true. Because the thing is, is like I used to get a lot of my like beauty and like hair and rec- hair stuff recommendations mm-hmm. from um like seventeen magazine yeah. and, and other things like that. But I remember being really frustrated because like I have like so because I have like ethnic skin and hair <laughs> like <laughs> like those magazines are not like like 17 made a point of being like quite diverse but I don't think it ever really kind of got it exactly right and like when I started like taking care of my curly hair and like wearing it curly it was because of YouTube because mm-hmm. um, that was the first place that I found people who were like doing the whole curly hair um, like curly girl method and everything and also like finding makeup recommendations from somebody who had similar skin to me like skin type and like skin color yeah. and stuff like that just kind of like revolutionized my life like I stopped buying things that I didn't <laughs> that didn't work for me and and now I still do it like I'll just go on to you know any YouTuber like now I look at UK YouTubers because um, they're more likely to give recommendations on like products that I have access to because not everything's totally analogous um and you know i don't like spend hours watching their videos or anything like i used to yeah but i can just like go and click through and be like oh new foundation like you know recommendations or look at their instagrams or their blogs or whatever yeah and it's just like a really foolproof way for me whereas it used to just be so hit and miss so it, it sort of feels like that age of like you know consumer information for for teenagers is just sort of over yeah it's weird yeah it is it's just very different yeah, definitely. Um, and I think also, like, the recession had a lot to do with that as well. Like, YouTube is free. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I think a lot of, like, media consumption around that was, like, you know, you could watch it on your phone if you had an expensive phone or you could do it at the library if you had headphones. Like, Yeah. And um, really there's a lot of stuff, I think, that popped up besides YouTube. Like, College Humor was a site um, that was free. And they just had yes. ads or whatever um cracked.com yeah. was another one they tried the magazine oh, thing. love cracked yeah. a long time so i don't know what they're still doing but 
um, they also had free content that just had ads. And so I think that was really like a, a shift in how you did your stuff was, and then, you know, things yeah, like just Netflix and Hulu stuff too, where yes. you just pay once and then, or at the time, yeah. you know, <laughs> you pay once a month. Well, I mean, it was like so much cheaper than like renting videos yeah. and like, you could just watch, like, I mean, when Netflix on demand came in, I just like canceled my DVD subscription service. Mm-hmm. Cause what would happen is like, I was paying, you know, what was it like at the time? I think it was like five, like $5 almost said pounds, Yeah, <laughs> $5 a month. And, you know, to get like unlimited DVDs, but I was, I have ADHD. I was terrible at sending them back. Yeah, And so sometimes I'd have one just for ages. And, like, my grandmother had the DVD subscription service as well. She loved it um, for a while. But now now she has cable, so it's not a big deal. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it was just everything was, like, so sort of on demand. You didn't have to go to the store and buy a thing. You didn't have to pay more than, you know, five pounds a month for, like, all of this content, all of this entertainment. Um yeah. And yeah, I think that was like a huge, a huge thing. And also, like, I think it sort of fit in with like the recession. Like, Netflix and chill is a thing because everybody's broke. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if we had like, if we were in an economic boom, you know, or had been for the last like ten years, like Netflix and chill would never have become a thing. I know. Like, yeah. like, I don't remember. Like, I can't remember the last time just a date, like, just a date, not not a boyfriend took me out for like a nice dinner (laughs) it's always like let's get coffee yeah and then maybe we can watch netflix at one of our houses or that sort of thing because we were just all fucking broke yeah yeah even if we had good jobs Mm -hmm. you know which we did but at the same time i think it was like (laughs) we'll we'll get fancy once we know this is a thing yeah (laughs) um but i think that also fits in with the whole tinder thing like when you're sitting there swiping and swiping and swiping like you're not gonna like take somebody out to a really fancy expensive dinner every time that you like match or whatever no that'd be so expensive yeah that wouldn't be that's not really what tinder's designed for no that's true (laughs) hey i know somebody who met their i know a couple of people who met their spouses on tinder but yeah no it's it's definitely not like the original (laughs) aim of the app (laughs) Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just that, like, you know, it's the sort of constant availability of like entertainment and information for not very much money. Yeah. Wouldn't have happened without the Great Recession. Yeah. Um, I don't think so either. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of like where we stand on on this podcast and, and how we're going to sort of approach things. I think we'll be tapped into like the sort of trends and what's happening. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting because, yeah, like now I'm kind of more aware of the way that things are happening over here mm-hmm. um, that I just, you know, I, I have a slightly more, I don't want to be like I'm a citizen of the world, but I have a slightly more global perspective now on things like the recession um because the housing crisis is like so much worse here than it is in most of america yeah but it's very similar to places like san francisco and new york where people are basically saying like they don't think they're ever going to be able to buy a house um even if they're gainfully employed oh wow um and that's true like across the board here um because housing is it's expensive like buying a house is so expensive even in place like where i live i live um like two hours outside of london um in a it's a city but it's a small city it's less than like three hundred thousand people um but like housing is still incredibly expensive whereas um in arizona where we're from like you can buy like a four bedroom house <laughs> for not very much money. Like, and so, yeah, like there's a definite shift in culture happening here in terms of like people are either living in house shares longer or they're living with their parents longer, which I know is happening in the U S as well, but it's more in city, like big cities, concentrated places where the housing is so much more expensive. Um, but yeah, my perspective on things has definitely like altered a bit since moving here. Yeah. Um, I bet. Although my politics have just gotten like increasingly <laughs> radical. <laughs> I love my socialized healthcare. It's so good. Um, shall we move on? Yeah, I suppose we should maybe move on to our uh, game that we've created that's called Millennial <laughs> or Not. Um, it's a very original game. Yeah, so we'll list a stereotype and each of us will answer as to whether or not we think it fits us. Right. Number one technology addicts. Yes. 
I am addicted to technology. Um, so I, uh, I'm a freelancer um, and I'm self-employed, which means that I do my own marketing and I have to take like all of my own like booking and client calls and everything like that, which means that I'm constantly, constantly, constantly on Instagram, um, <laughs> particularly, which is terrible and I hate it and I wish I could break up with Instagram but my business model doesn't allow it. <laughs> um, and also I just, I have to be like constantly available because I'm still sort of like this fledgling pole instructor <clears throat> and I don't have like my own location. So I can't just like sit in one place and like do my work and then go home. Um, and I'm like the only person doing it by myself. So yeah. I can't also be like, okay, like I have to turn off my phone now for my own sanity. Like, so-and-so can you take all the calls now so yeah unfortunately addicted to technology but I wish I wasn't yeah and I'm the same way I'm pretty addicted to, te to uh, technology not really for the same reasons that I think you are because I don't have to like do Instagram or whatever for my job but I do find that I'm constantly just looking at something whether it's Facebook which mm. I don't especially like but Facebook or Instagram <laughs> or just like googling things or checking my text you know it's, it's all the time um, and then whatever apps I might have on there definitely add to that. So I do find that on the rare occasion that I maybe leave the house and have forgotten my phone, I'm really stressed out for maybe like the first hour. But then after that, I actually feel great. And I'm so happy to not have my phone on me. And I'm like not worried about it at all. So there's I definitely something to feeling. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just like it's such a liability to do that because I can lose business. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I think like... The whole technology thing, I would say, is a result of the gig economy um, yeah. in that, like, you just have to be constantly available because, like, the economy is shit. And, yeah. like, if you're working a second job or if you have a side hustle or whatever, or you're a freelancer, like, that's just the way it's going to be, unfortunately. So, but, yeah, I do, I do try and make an effort to, like, switch off sometimes, but it's like it's just difficult. It, yeah. That brings us to our next uh, millennial or not which is dun, 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 that millennials are all job hoppers. Guilty. I definitely <laughs> wasn't. Um, but then I went back to, to school and got my master's in creative writing, which qualifies me to write creatively and to teach writing creatively. Um, and I live in uh, a city that is a UNESCO city of literature which means that there are lots and lots and lots of writers here. Um, <laughs> so it actually makes it a little bit saturated for such a small place. Yeah. Um, so I was working, uh, I was a social worker before I worked with homeless teenagers and then I came here to do my master's and I was working at Starbucks um, and I rage quit my job <laughs> um, for several reasons. Um and I'm really glad that I did, but it was rough for a while. I like, I bounced from place to place. Um, I had to quit one job because I actually broke my foot. Um, not doing pole, just falling. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, falling in my kitchen. Uh, but then I, I couldn't be on my feet for long periods of time for like several months. So I ended up getting like a desk type job. And it turned out to not be the company that I wanted to work for. Um, so I was unemployed again. Got a job uh, this February, and then after three months, the business folded, <laughs> leaving <laughs> us all unemployed. Yeah. Um, I was lucky, though. I had a contract, whereas, um, like, my friends were self-employed, um, so they didn't have as much recourse as I did. Uh, and then I ended up just starting out on my own doing pole dance lessons. Um, and then I picked up another job <laughs> <laughs> last month, uh, which I'm really enjoying doing oh, writing, uh, and, and writing for, um, an ed tech company. Um, oh, that's awesome. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I, I can't remember if I told you that or not. Um, I don't know if but... I have a ton of details about it, but I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so yeah extra income always good yeah I like being busy I like not um selling my soul um for sure to make some money writing and uh yeah it's it's a good gig yeah anyway so you're are you a job <laughs> hopper uh kind of I wouldn't say quite as job hoppy as what you just said um <laughs> 
I did graduate with my master's in English um, and literature specifically, I guess. So I found a job fairly quickly as like an adjunct or like a part-time teacher, basically. Um, and then I had a few side jobs I kind of hopped around on. I worked at a movie theater for a hot minute. I worked um, in something like AmeriCorps a little, you know, for another hot minute. Um, and then eventually I found a full-time teaching job. And since then, I've been pretty much just with the same job for the last couple of years. So um, a bit of job, hunt- or job hunting, but also job hopping uh, early on. Not so much anymore. Um, yeah. But I think that, like, that was also a function of, like, the recession. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, we started college in, like, what, 2009? Yeah. <laughs> and then just, like, came out <laughs> into the world, like, oh, no. Yeah, and, and kind of what you just said about be- there being a ton of writers in an oversaturated market. When it comes to teaching in the college level, everyone is an English teacher. Like, everyone wants to be an <laughs> yeah. English teacher. So you really have to, like, hunger games that situation and find a job. <laughs> Uh, just like go around like shipping people yeah like, like they're desperate for you know like letting chemistry. them die <laughs> and people are desperate you know for like chemistry or biology teachers there's not as much of that um most people that did those that get those degrees end up going into like that field and doing something with a company like or like or, research yeah. um whereas english teachers it's really like you're gonna teach what probably. else can you do yeah there's not a lot what else. else can you do with this degree um, right on to the next category um entrepreneurial that that is the stereotype that millennials are very entrepreneurial yes unfortunately i am (laughs) this is the sort of thing i never ever saw myself doing was like starting my own business Um, i know and i still haven't like technically i'm a sole trader i'm i'm a freelancer and i like it that way (laughs) I don't want to start my own business, but I really, really love teaching pole. Yeah. And my answer is a lot less interesting. Not really. Um, I haven't needed to. And the whole thing sounds very stressful to me. So I'm glad that I currently do not find myself needing to like become an entrepreneur in order to like, you know, do what I survive. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least not um, at this point in my life. Who knows? Knock on wood, I guess. But <laughs> Well, I mean, like, the planet's going to explode due to global warming anytime soon, so... That's true, so why worry about it? <laughs> that took a dark turn. Well, honestly, it's sort of perfect for our next category, which is <laughs> um, that millennials are very laid back. I think, like, the implication is, like, negatively so as well, yeah. like, too laid back, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not laid back. <laughs> I, I am in my, like, day-to-day interactions with people, but, like, secretly, I'm just kind of a control yeah. freak. Yeah. And I have a lot of things. <laughs> so much anxiety. Like, I think this is also part of, like, the social media, like, monster as well, is that it just really feeds into my anxiety. So, like, the fact that I can get onto my Instagram and be like, I see that no one has signed up for class, but I know you're all <laughs> going to badger me to add you manually to your class, like, in, in the T-minus 10 hours. Wouldn't it be great if you signed up for class? Yeah. So, I think it just, like, really, like, allows me to do that. Yeah. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm not. No. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm also very anxious. And again, I'm a person that I think, kind of like what you just said, I think in person and like day-to-day conversations, I come across as pretty laid back. Um, But I also am a very, very anxious person. I actually just bought one of those weighted anxiety blankets where they like weigh a certain amount. I don't know how much they weigh. Um, It's supposed to mimic like just this pressure that's supposed to make you calm down. It's like a dog, you know, that you get one of those vests that they strap you in and it feels like a hug. Oh, a thunder shirt. Yeah, yeah, a thunder shirt. It's sort of what this is like for a person. Um, And that's been. We got one of those for my mom's dog and it did not fucking work. (laughs) Well, you know, this works for me. I'm more receptive I mean, to if it you're like, dog, I guess. yeah, if you're warm and it like it makes you happy, I don't, I don't think I would enjoy it personally. Um, you but know, I think I, I, I know a few people who have them and who like them. Yeah, so. I've been liking it, and you know, I'm also a person that if something goes wrong at work or whatever, something goes wrong in my travel plans or whatever, it's it's like high anxiety, and that's when that really comes out. <laughs> I had to take an unscheduled, like, or rather unplanned by me trip to a different city with some students that I did I initially was not planning on doing and I've never done that before with students and that was like people that I know at work still hear about that so I'm still so stressed <laughs> like way after the fact about it so I definitely would not say that I'm very laid back and those poor students they're all like adults and I was there like you have to go back to your rooms at night 
don't go anywhere. And I'm like, you know, being a mother and like <laughs> controlling the situation. So anyway, long story short, um, yeah, no. I'm pretty anxious. Uh, and, in, and in that spirit of incredible <laughs> honesty, <laughs> our next one is um, that millennials value transparency. Yeah, I think I think we value transparency. Yeah, I think everyone does, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, specifically this is related to um, value transparency, like in the workplace and companies and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and but I think like that's sort of the general trend is that companies are moving towards that sort of thing, especially with like you know the impending threat of um, climate change just erasing all of us off the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's you know the days of like Nestle and like you know um johnson and johnson and everything like that they're really kind of over and changing and i think also just because so many things have gone wrong that have affected people long term and now we have access to that information like how nestle like you know incorrectly told mothers in developing nations to use formula and it i mean kids died because they were using water that wasn't like potable instead yeah. of breastfeeding which is a much safer way to for kids that age to get nutrition um yeah. in in developing nations a lot of the time where there's not as much access to clean water mm-hmm. um and but like people know like everyone knows about that now whereas before it was the sort of thing that you had to be taught in school to find out about because that information was just so like not accessible to us and yeah or they now... have to make a lengthy investigation that's um you know someone would have to do to to find that information yeah like go into newspaper archives and things like that and now it's on the internet and you can i mean you can type in like evil corporations i'm sure just like tons (laughs) of results will come up with like all the terrible things that companies have done in the name of turning a profit yeah um and you know it's not i don't think it's so much that like you know it's a new thing it's just like newly accessible to us and the next question is Oh, that millennials are social warriors. Uh, yes, dare I say, yeah. <laughs> given the entire just like tangent that, went on, that we went on there. And um, various other tangents that we brought on, I think it's pretty clear that we fall into this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I used to be a social worker. Yeah, and um, I, I like completely isolated not intentionally, but several of my friends just didn't get it at the time. I took a women's studies class in college. And I know it's such a cliche thing to say that, like, <laughs> I took a women's studies class. I learned I was I... being oppressed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but in a way, I did learn that how, what's going on. And that class was so great because it wasn't just um, – it was much more inclusive than I think people think a class like, like that trans, is. Yeah. Like intersectional feminism. Very and, intersectional, yeah. very much about um, issues of race too and issues of class that tied into it. So it was a really great class. And that was sort of set me on this path of like caring about these sorts of things and being more aware of these sorts of things. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you would have got there anyway. Like your parents are very socially aware. Yeah. Like, I was already not someone who was like against that sort of thing um i just wasn't as educated about it and so you weren't woke yet (laughs) yes i wasn't woke yet um and but yeah yeah my whole upbringing was fairly liberal leaning as well so it was already headed that direction anyway yeah um for for reference because this is a podcast and you can't see us um although if you have discovered our podcast through the medium post that i've put up um you might have seen the picture of us as children um <laughs> and from that you will be able to tell that one of us is blonde and one of us is not blonde <laughs> um and as a woman of color uh that i did not have the sort of like woke awakening that other people did my whole life was just like wishing that other people were woke yeah um, <laughs> the next uh, stereotype is millennials are hypersensitive yeah. <laughs> like of course we're hypersensitive we grew up after 9-11 yeah and like with the internet like we don't remember a time without like like younger millennials won't remember a time without school shooter drills like i don't remember a time where school shootings weren't a thing and the planet's about to explode mm-hmm. um so if you're not hypersensitive i think there's probably something wrong with you yeah you're sort of willfully ignoring some things going on in the world you just must like live i i if you're not hypersensitive and it's because you don't have the internet i would get that like i totally understand yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. And that's sort of my thought is that, I mean, with the amount of information that we're able to get on our smartphones or on, I mean, that's all that my students use these days, by the way, no one has laptops, everyone has smartphones and that's what they use. Um, But you can get whatever you want on there. And I mean, wouldn't that make you hypersensitive that you can see everything that's going on all over the world with a simple Google search? And there's um, a lot of good things that you can find, but there's also a lot of, you know, really bad things Those... that are going on. Um, well, and like good news isn't what like creates profit, like bad news. Exactly. exactly. I mean, this is like what capitalism is about. <laughs> We've talked a lot about these Shane Dawson documentaries and like how unusual they are. Um <laughs> <laughs> to put it maybe mildly, there's there's sort of strange <laughs> creations, and maybe we, there was the new one about Jeffrey Star, who is the beauty influencer, beauty mogul, formerly canceled. Uh, Why was he canceled? Oh, it's a whole thing. So I watched the other Jeffrey Star documentary that he did. So this is the second one he's done on Jeffrey Star, <laughs> um, or with Jeffrey Star, and uh, it, it was just a lot of racism, as far as I could tell. Um, uh. Okay. He he used to be on MySpace as like this really intense like in your face musician. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. That's where that's where he started. Apparently, it was he was very that's very whole different brand. Yeah, um, and he used to you know just say things. Um, I think he called some women the N word, and they were white women, I think. But it was it was videotaped if someone had the camera on him, um, and he was saying it to upset them, and so it. That was one of the things I think that he was canceled for. There's probably a couple others I don't remember, but um, I think we're also using "canceled" and like "quote unquote" canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um. obviously he was never really canceled. He had a really huge, like, successful beauty empire. Basically, I mean, there's a Jeffrey Star cosmetics that I hear are yeah. very popular. Um, I, apparently, they're really good. I just like can't yeah. ever. I don't know. I'm very lazy. I get yeah. Drugstore, and I'm like, oh, I'm in town, and I should get a new lipstick. Um, I don't really. I, th- I that was something I used to do, and now it's just like an afterthought. Yeah, no, I think the Shane Dawson thing is like very strange. Um, yeah, and this one was unusual <laughs> because he kind of advertised it as something that was going to get into like the drama and the beauty online beauty community. Yeah, there is a huge amount of drama in there, and like it, between yeah. so many people. Yeah, I mean, there was sort of a big blow up. I kind of like casually get this news. Um, James Charles and Tati Westbrook, who are two different beauty influencers yeah at war um and shane dawson got pulled into it because jeffree star was involved and they were making this doc is a whole thing so he kind of advertised it as being about that initially and maybe some behind the scenes into how to make makeup but then it really turned into an ad for the palette that he yeah they created a palette together yes Yes, it created which looks really nice i have to say no it does i look at it and i'm like if if i knew how to do eyeshadow yeah (laughs) I would get that. I don't know. I'm I'm almost 30. I still haven't figured out eyeshadow. Occasionally I can do something decent looking with eyeshadow. Um, um, but it's just very odd because he, again, there's things about the documentaries that he makes that I like. There's been some that I did not like, like the, uh, what's his name? The Jake Paul one. Um, <laughs> yeah. That one was a, a whole mess. The I mind thought. of Jake Paul. For, yeah. First of all, let's talk about the title. Let's talk right about the title. <laughs> That's true. It's just so awful. <laughs> yeah awful i know the mind of jake paul i think this one is called it the beautiful world of jeffree star i'm like okay um that one's a bit better like that yeah i would say like that sounds like a book by john green but they're strange to watch because there's parts of them that are good i think but he they're sort of approached as if they are real documentaries and he wants to like work with netflix on documentaries and it's like he's a documentary maker now um, oh yeah That's but there's so many mistakes strange. and like with the jake paul i'm gonna pick on the jake paul one here for a second because he just went into that with not enough information on what he wanted to do like he wanted to talk about being a sociopath but he didn't do enough research you have to spend so much time um researching well, and for then, something like that and you also can't diagnose somebody as a sociopath if you no. have like no if you don't have like a medical degree that says that you're allowed to diagnose people as a sociopath. I know. And he did bring a therapist in and she seems great. She has a great YouTube channel. I think her name is Katie Morton. Um but she's like a family counselor. She's not someone not she like can't... a clinical psychologist. Yeah. yeah, and she can't like uh diagnose people anyway. Um if if they're not a client yeah. and it's anyway, it was a whole thing. And like the the most recent one too, the makeup one, 
he was changing and editing it as it as he went and sort of changing based on what the reaction was and to me it's just like it's just a long youtube video um which is not (laughs) which i don't want to like downplay the amount of work that obviously went into that but there does seem to be this disconnect between what he's creating or what he thinks yeah I think it like once you release a palette based on the whole thing, like yeah. at the prices that those things cost, I know like, it's just about money at that point. Which I think is the whole thing behind cancel culture. Yeah, is it's not so much that like you want somebody's career to be ended, as much as you don't want them to profit off of the terrible things they do. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a big part of it. I think that's the thing with Jeffree Star and, and with, like, James Charles and stuff like that is, like, because we live in a capitalist society, I uh, live in a slightly less capitalistic society. Yeah. Um, because we live in a capitalist society, like, that's one of the only ways to make change is to affect money and the way that, like, the direction that money goes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that millennials have really tapped into that and been, yeah. like, capitalism, A, is evil. Um, and B, it's, it's our only, we have to use it as a weapon, right? So boycotting movies, for instance, uh, um, that was a big thing I know yeah. with things like Hustlers or, mm-hmm. you know, the response to Sonic the Hedgehog. Or um, the Joker movie. There were some people. The Joker movie. That ended up yeah. not really working out as a boycott. It's made so much money, but some people wanted to. Um... Yeah. And I think that's the thing is it's just voting with your money. Um mm-hmm. And that's like a perfectly, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't want to say I approve of boycotting unless it's um, like an organization that you're boycotting. I don't really Mm -hmm. believe in boycotting art Mm -hmm. of any kind, but I think that like voting with your money is fine. I think that it, and I think it's a really effective way to affect change. Yeah. Um, But I think in terms, I don't, I think boycotting art seems too much like censorship to me personally. Mm. Um, whereas I wouldn't like, there are places that I don't buy things from because I don't believe in the way that they treat their workers, for instance. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not necessarily boycotting, but if I led a boycott against an organization based on that, it's not to me, that's not censorship. Um, mm-hmm. And that's generally my objection to that sort of thing. But I, you know, I, I do kind of like cancel culture because it's about, do you really want somebody who's done terrible things to make money off of the terrible things they've done? Yeah. Um, and I, I've heard some people starting to try and, and call cancel culture accountability culture instead, because it's really more what it is. Cause um, yeah. someone like, for example, Harvey Weinstein, yeah, he may not be able to work necessarily in the industry anymore, but there were just recent stories about how he still goes to um, like artist expos, basically. Um, a comedian, a female comedian called, it, called them out at uh, an event recently because uh, he was there um, and no oh. one was talking about it. And like all of these young... Like, why you know, is he allowed to be here? And Yeah, and all these young aspiring artists were there, including young women. So she's like, why is he allowed to be here? So when someone's canceled, they're not necessarily, like, actually canceled. It's, um... Like, running them out of business, more like. Yeah, it's more like trying to hold people accountable and say, like... Yeah, and um, and making people aware of, like, their presence in, like, the public sphere and, and yeah. everything. Yeah, and that's why when you said with, with uh, boycotting art, for the most part, I agree with that. Um, I do say that there's some people where <laughs> I'll still boycott it, um... And I have mixed feelings about it. It's just, I, I don't care if, if other people don't want to boycott it, I guess. But, like, if a new Woody Allen movie came out, for example, there's no oh, way yeah, I'm going to see, go see it. There's yeah. no way I'm going to go see that Woody Allen movie, even though I know a lot of other people worked on it. And there's people who um, make their living working on, like, sounds booths or, you know, Yeah, editing. like, the huge amount of revenue it generates for, like, wherever it was filmed. and yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel and it's tough, but then I also like I just don't want to ever encourage but or you, pay money for a Woody Allen movie. Um, I think that's fair. I think I think a boycott in the more in the sense of like going on strike, like oh, encouraging I see. other people to do it. So, yeah, I see. Um, but yeah, personally, like yeah, I, I and it kills me because you know I do have that struggle of like being able to separate the art from the artist. Like I had yeah. this experience with. Um, 
when I uh, was sort of preparing to meet literary agents and stuff and some more like um, some things organized events organized by my um, master's program, mm-hmm. I had put in that I was really influenced by Sherman Alexi and Juno Diaz. Oh, yeah. Shortly before all of the allegations oh. came out against both of them. And that yeah. was devastating to me because those are like I love Juno Diaz's work. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I wrote papers on it. Um and drew a lot of influence from it. And Sherman Alexi was like, you know, one of those writers that really affected me as a teenager and, and made me yeah. want to write um, professionally and yeah, to become a fiction writer as well. Um, and so, you know, not, they've not been convicted of anything, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like, it just feels so icky. It just yeah. it feels like something that I really aspired to and believed in has been sort of tainted by their presence, especially because a lot of their work deals with things like racism and sexism. Yeah. Um, um, particularly, you know, Diaz's book of short stories. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're huge figures in the literary community and, and have had a lot of influence on other people's careers. And it's just devastating. And at the same time, like, I still want to continue to love their work, but I can't look at it the same way anymore, especially when it deals with, like, women in, in the stories. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I probably won't continue to consume their their stuff just because it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's a big part of cancel culture as well is, like, not only are you saying, like, I am actively vocally voting with my money, with my attention. Yeah. Because a lot of it is about views, isn't it? Like every yeah. time that you go and look at somebody's Instagram, every time that you go and, you know, watch a video, people yeah. are getting revenue from that. Um, yeah. So even just giving your attention has a huge impact. Um, and and so I just, I don't want to give my attention to those things because one, it's not great for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then two, it makes them money, which is incredibly frustrating. And there's right. so many amazing artists that need to be supported as well who don't have these like moral quandaries going around that are their work and themselves. Exactly. And that's what I have kind of thought for a long time where I'm like, you know, people, some people act as if Louis CK not being um, a famous or like well-beloved comedian anymore, although he is still going on tours and things. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, and people are not announcing him whenever he shows up. Like, yeah. Just spurring it on people. Which I think is I know. It's awful. awful. Um, but people, some people act as if him not being able to have that same level of presence is somehow like this huge loss to comedy. And don't get me wrong, like Louis C.K. is very funny. Um, but there's so many other funny people. Like comedy's going to be okay if we yeah. pick out Louis C.K. <laughs> it's going to survive. I love that. It's going to well, survive also... as an art form. I mean, like, it'll be fine. It's sort of like the idea of like, you know, like when people compete in the Olympics and then they retire because they're like, you know what? It's time for someone else to compete. Like, yeah. <laughs> goodbye, Louis. It's time for somebody else to be funny. Yeah, someone like, else can come and be funny. Or that guy. Somebody else can, yeah. Or the guy that got kicked off of SNL right after he got hired. I can't even remember his name Oh, now. yeah, from those um, old tweets. And like his old podcast. And there is stuff that's not funny. Like at least with Louis C. Cage, he said, well, yeah, I can see why people are sad he was funny. This yeah, he was funny. Well, funny. I think I think Louis C.K. like honestly, like I think he tried to change and probably did change. Yeah, he might have, but it was just too late, way too late. And his apology was awful. So yeah. it's frustrating. I think it's like particularly frustrating with Louis C.K. because he felt like an ally, whereas the guy from yes. SNL never did. never did. Speaking of allyship and human rights (laughs) (laughs) and racism and sexism Um, uh, yeah impeachment hearings are happening and i keep getting the new york times because i subscribe to like various um newsletters that they send you which like collect news in one place so like morning briefing and blah 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 and I keep getting the impeachment one, and I just, like, refuse to open them. <laughs> like, I just delete them. <laughs> so I can't, I can't deal with it. But I had been I listening know. to the Daily episodes. Okay. Um, absolutely love the Daily podcast. Highly recommend. And um, I think they're getting closer to finding proof 
I think the Republicans aren't going to budge. No, they're not going to budge. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed. Like, Yeah, and that's why I know you have uh, something to say about this, I think. But for me, I like that we've at least gotten to this point. The fact that it's yes. taken this long <laughs> yeah. shocks me and makes me very worried about the outcome. Because um, if it took this long to get here with all of the evidence that's mounting up and all of the things that we know are going on, um, it seems to me like any outcome besides nothing is unlikely. But I don't know. That might be pessimistic of me, but we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's like I, I, yes, it is pessimistic, but I don't blame <laughs> you <laughs> because everything, everything else that's happened, like speaking of accountability culture, like there doesn't seem to be any way to hold Trump accountable for his actions, which is incredibly frustrating to me. Yeah. And if it were anybody else, like this would not be happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I feel you. Like, I think we are having the same sort of like hopelessness about Brexit over here as well. Okay. Which, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't been paying attention, the UK is still not Brexited. <laughs> I still put, I just have no idea what any of this means or what is happening over there. So, yeah. So basically, I've said it's the opposite of an Irish goodbye. Um, so, Irish, an Irish goodbye for those of you who are the uninitiated means that you just like leave a party without telling anybody. Like, you, you're drunk and you like slip off without saying anything. It's sort of like when you break up with somebody. <laughs> yeah but they haven't moved out <laughs> and they keep talking about how they're gonna move out they still they have your really netflix password and yeah. yeah they still have the netflix password like they really don't want to give that up but they don't know how to negotiate that and yeah basically that's the situation we're in um and it's just it's really sort of embarrassing um yeah. i say that as like as an american like living in the uk but i've been here for three years <laughs> and every time somebody asks me about it i'm just like oh they're both the us and the uk this is basically just the example of like democracy not working and the consequences yeah. of it yeah um like i'm fully prepared like i'm starting to get to the point where i'm like maybe we should just move to France or something like that because <laughs> we're like, we're at a point where if like when Brexit happens, we're not going to have access to certain medications. Apparently oh we're not going to have access to like food. Like the supermarkets are basically like gearing up and telling people like there's going to be empty spaces on the shelves. Um, if oh we God. don't like fix this soon. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be fresh food because we get a lot of our produce from the EU, like yeah. Spain and France. Um, so that's going to be fun. Um, I highly recommend the Lemonade episode of the Guilty Feminist podcast. It talks okay. really coherently about this. Okay. Um, and there's some great jokes about not being able to get in certain things in the UK once Brexit happens. So, yeah. Um, I mean, good luck. It's good to know that uh, both of our governments are melting fucked. down a bit over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not just in different guys. ways, but it's not just uh, the U S um, yeah. I say you guys, I vote in every election just so everybody knows, please vote, please. Vote. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Please, please, please vote. Please, please vote. Everybody vote. Even um, if it's a tiny election, please vote. And yes. Every, every vote is really important. Yes. Um, and it only stops being important when you say it's not. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but on to happier. Thanks for playing millennial or not with us. Next on the agenda is a little bit of millennial pop culture. Shane Dawson, YouTuber, influencer, documentary filmmaker. We're also talking a little bit about our take on uh, cancel culture. And at what point does it become censorship? Things. Um, we're going to talk about our recommendations. Um, yeah. And these are some great millennial type recommendations. Yes. So I am currently rewatching Buffy because I put it on to have in the background um, while I did work. And my boyfriend has not watched Buffy from start to finish and he has become really obsessed with it. <laughs> We're currently in Prime Spuffy, uh, which is uh, spoiler alert. Buffy. If you're, yeah, yeah, if you're 15 years late to this, <laughs> this party, then it is the union of Spike and Buffy, which is my favorite part of Buffy. Um, because I think that just put, like it's down to type. I like bad boys. Yeah. Um, and we could like probably have boys. a whole other podcast talking about Buffy. this relationship and like what's 
you know great all and the, what's not so great about it yeah the, all of the implications of it but yes yeah. it is my favorite part of Buffy yeah. um and Sarah Michelle Geller did a recent uh interview which I'll link about why Buffy is still super relevant and okay. uh I think it was fantastic because it she makes a really good point about a lot of Buffy's experiences and the monsters and the the different demons aspects that she faces are, you know, the elements of things that we all face. Um, and uh, I think that's really true. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I'm going to recommend um, in sort of like a similar Netflix sea binge type thing is this movie <laughs> called Bad Match. Um and that was one that I stumbled across during spooky season, you know, October-ish. And uh, I saw the description on the Netflix and it was something, you know, about how, like, this guy goes on a date with a girl at a Tinder date and things go wrong from there that she turns into like, a stalker. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cheesy. I'm going to put that on and see how awful this is. Because <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, I spend my time watching bad movies. So I'm like, great, this might be one of them. Um, but actually... <laughs> I'm not going to say it's like Citizen Kane or anything, but um, it was a really interesting look at modern dating, I think, in a scary movie setting. Um, and it took some approaches that I wasn't expecting. Like for my description, it sort of sounds like maybe modern day um, fatal attraction or something. Oh. But it's not about partway through. It turns into something different. And it was very intriguing. It uses a lot of technology in a way that to me didn't feel very like old person writing for teenagers type thing it actually felt like a fairly authentic way that people would use some of these apps and things um not perfect because i'm sure maybe there were some older people either in the production company or the writing room that made some things a little not weird (laughs) ideal yeah but it was really intriguing and so if you're into thrillers and things like that that's what i would recommend Ooh. Also, um, you, the second season of you with uh yes. Penn Badgley is coming. I'm really, really excited about it. Cause I so I started watching it and I was gonna be like, oh, I can't believe I'm watching this. Um I ex- also expected you to be very bad. Um, yeah. But it's fantastic. It's so fascinating. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And yeah. Yeah, and like Penn Badgley is so perfect. Cause I thought yeah. I wasn't gonna be able to deal with him in the show because um of seeing him in things like john tucker must die and um uh, gossip, gossip girl, girl. yes <laughs> gossip girl love gossip girl um and instead it was perfect because it just made it so much creepier fantastic really 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 excited for that yeah and i i like how his character in you is really sort of like maybe a more honest portrayal of his character from Gossip Girl. Um, <laughs> but they're kind of the same person. Yeah, no, that is, that is so true. That works really well. Um, but it's like, you know, it's the thriller version of, uh, what's his name, Dan? Uh, Dan, Gossip yeah, Girl. Yeah. I'm already forgetting. I just No spoilers, no spoilers. Girl. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, really excited to watch you. I'll probably binge that whenever I have a chance soon. Um from there, also on Netflix, is the uh, latest season of BoJack Horseman. Uh, yes. I believe it's season six, and I have not finished it yet, uh, but so far it's really, really good. Um, I'm looking forward to getting there. I'm still on season five, I think, right now, um, so I'm going to try and wrap that up and then jump into the new one. If you can tough it out. Like, season five is really hard, Okay. Um, but once you sort of tough it out through season five, like season six is kind of a breath of fresh air. Like it's, it's still Bojack Horseman, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think just sort of says it all. Um, yeah. but it is really fantastic. What I love about Bojack Horseman is that it, it does a really good job with the sort of treatment of certain aspects of society in really a sort of sardonic, but also really critical and sensitive way. Yes. Um, a book that I did finally finish listening to somewhat recently in that I'm kind of embarrassed I hadn't read before being like an <laughs> English literature grad uh, was Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan yes. Didion. Um, it's really great. I It was hyped up to me and then it lived up to the hype. Um, Joan I mean, Didion always lives up to the hype. Yeah, it's so great. I think it still applies in a lot of ways to what people go through now. Um there's a lot of stuff about counterculture in there that probably is what you've heard of, um, if you've heard of Slouching Toward Bethlehem before. Um, 
but it's is is like sort of journalistic pieces written in the yes. 60s yes. and 70s um and there's also some very personal ones um she write there's one in particular about her living in new york when she was i think uh, in her early 20s that even though i haven't had that experience in the 70s or 60s um or earlier uh in new york I very much related to it as maybe looking back on my own early twenties and how I felt during that time. So I think she's really great at capturing moments that are not just in that time, but time for everyone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's very, very true. Like Joan Didion is such a, uh, an emotional writer. Yeah. Um, and so I think like she really is one of those writers that manages to tap into human nature and um, incredibly well. My book recommendation is The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. I got it pretty much immediately. Uh, it was released and then I uh, had to order a copy actually because it was really difficult to get hold of them. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I read it really quickly on a trip to Brighton. And I have mixed feelings actually. Um, I put this in my recommendations um, and I think that it is worth a read. Absolutely. Like, I mean, it's Margaret Atwood for one and she's amazing. And um, obviously I don't want to give away too much, but it is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. And I kind of feel like it's unavoidable because The Handmaid's Tale, there's been so much time since The Handmaid's Tale is published. Yeah. Such a timeless work of fiction. It's incredible. It's it's impeccably written. Yes. Um. And with the Testaments, um, you start off with uh, Aunt Lydia, who is one of the aunts, and she's a bit of an evil figure in um, The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, definitely. Uh, whereas you get it from, like, in the Testaments, it's from her perspective and from the perspective of other people as well. Um, so it's it's three different people in The Testaments, which I think was an interesting choice. And... But I, I guess I was surprised because it feels like a sequel in the way that, like, the sequel of a movie often feels like the sequel. It's, like, not that she was quite trying to recapture the magic of The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. But that she was sort of writing a version of it that she felt that she felt like people needed today. And mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I was a little bit, um, yeah, I, I was a bit disappointed, like... I, I think that it was hard because The Handmaid's Tale is such a perfect book yeah. um, and a very technically perfect book as well. I think it's really just a hard act to follow. And I I kind of wonder if something about Gilead that had stood on its own without the sort of previous novel behind it would have been more effective. Yeah. I don't know. I think also because there's the show, which I haven't watched actually, um, that plays into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Riverdale. Oh, is back. Yes. Is back. We have and crazier some than ever. Crazy, crazy things. We have people more people dying, of course. There's always people dying. We have um Oliver Twist happening. Oh my god. Which <laughs> like, is playing across the And of course series. it's related to Archie's story, which makes sense because I hate everything about Archie. Um <laughs> And so, of course, he doesn't worst... deserve Veronica, like, in the least. No, Veronica's he really doesn't. For him. Yeah. Um, uh, he... I hate everything going on with Veronica's parents. I hate. Yeah, I'm over it. Um... I'm really over it. Like, I'm obsessed with this show, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. I know. <laughs> how much of the storyline I just absolutely cannot deal with. I you know. People throwing themselves out windows. I know. Like... Um, very abruptly. Very, very abruptly. <laughs> There's really abrupt resolutions to cult stories that were very important before, but now have been... Yeah, just sort of tied up with a nice little bow within one episode. Yeah, it, you know. I think everybody's just really tired of the farm. Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody's like, I'm tired of the farm. They're like, okay, we hear you. This is the bad part of council culture and the bad part of Twitter and everything. It's like, <laughs> if when I, it's sort of like if you go in for a haircut, and halfway through the haircut you're like oh shit i don't like it you're halfway done but i don't like it change yeah. it 
Yeah. And then they start to change it. And then you're like, no, 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 I don't like that either. You're not going to end up with a haircut you enjoy. Yeah. Just let the hair cutter <laughs> do their job and give you a haircut. And once it's finished, then you can object to it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe influence the direction of your hair growth in future. People say they like something or don't like something on Twitter. And now everybody responds to it by I know. changing the storyline of the show. This I is was... my theory about Riverdale. <laughs> I think Game of Thrones too, to be honest. Um, oh yes. Oh that uh, <laughs> they were like actively reading the forums and like trying to change things to make it so people happy. couldn't guess. Um no, maybe so people couldn't oh. guess. Um, oh. what was it that happened next? And so it kind of screwed up a lot of things. Um <laughs> screwed up everything. <laughs> I was very scared when the cats trailer came out too that people oh, were gonna go yeah. in and change. I was afraid that people were gonna go in and change the cats. I'm like, no, I really want to see that movie. Please, <laughs> please do not change a single thing about the way that movie looks. And so it looks like they're not going they're gonna go ahead as planned, which thank God. Um but it's so of- creepy. <laughs> I know, but I'm so excited about it. Um <laughs> of course you are. I know. I'm really it's so creepy. And Cats uh, the musical is pretty insane on its own. So you add yeah, like, creepy it's based um, on a T.S. Eliot book of poetry about cats. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> Postmodernism. Written by Andrew Lloyd Webber in the 80s or whatever. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's a madness. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, Riverdale, I think, very much suffers from this problem. That they, they try and change things based on the reaction. But then, then why haven't they gotten rid of Hiram yet, is my question. Because no one has to be... He was in prison. They could have just left in there. I suppose I probably would have escaped or just, like, paid people off. But still, like... I know. They could have sent him to a different prison. Yeah, that's anyway, what I'm the most at this point, yeah, yeah, at this point, we're just ranting. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Riverdale is back. And it is not better than ever. It's worse than ever, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> um, and I'm still watching I know, um, which I think says something. I don't know if Tune it says something about week. the show or about me. <laughs> um, I think it says yeah. something about us. It, it does. Uh, so stay tuned for because it says we're millennials. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stay tuned for episode two. Uh, we're going to talk about makeup. Yeah. Uh, is anyone else tired of makeup? Is skincare the new makeup? Why do we have ear pods? <laughs> uh, does millennial marketing work? Is that how they sell earpods? Why am I so stressed out about my eyebrows? Why am I so stressed out about my eyebrows? Anyway, it's going to be an exciting, exciting episode. I'm Jenny. I'm Shelby. And this is Millennial Bitch. Bye. Bye.